0: to Matthew 5, verse 8, and the psalm we just sang, Psalm 24. We continue to go through the book of Matthew, and now, in particular, the Beatitudes, as we welcome those who might be visiting with us this morning in person or online, and we now turn to God's word. Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. As a church, we have a focus, a foundation, a calling. And if we miss what that foundation is, we can kind of be off in the weeds all over the place, confused. What is the central focus of the ministry of the church. In particular, the ministry here at Emmaus Road Reformed Church. One person asked three questions. It could be one of these three options. Is it, first of all, on our sin? Is it, secondly, on doing more? Or is it, third, on secondary doctrines? Or, fourth, none of the above? <laughs> well, it's actually none of the above. Our focus in particular, in foundational ways, is on the beautiful gospel of Jesus. Christ is the focus. That's why when we preach the law, the goal is not that we would just feel guilty, but that we would confess, repent, and turn to Christ. That's why when we talk about serving, we serve and we pray and we love, not out of a self-centered, strengthen yourself kind of thing, but in dependence upon Christ. That's why we have confessions of faith, like the Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgic Confession, the Canon of and We love the Westminster that summarize for us the central doctrines of the church and the clear teachings of the Word of God. All of these things fix our gaze on Jesus, and it is Christ and by his Spirit that we have fuel to worship God to love God, and by his Spirit to be made more like God. That's where we are here in the Beatitudes. This is, as we look at them, a picture of the heart of God's citizens, of his disciples who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. In particular today, the focus really is on the heart. As we have looked at these Beatitudes, it's not pick and choose, it's not, well, I'm at a buffet and I like the roast beef but I'm not sure about the broccoli. (laughs) This is, like the fruit of the Spirit, a picture of God's disciples, what he's doing among us. And it's not about doing more, it's not do this and be blessed, it's not personality traits, it's not external righteousness, it's not being nice with good manners. It's a change of heart. And that's what we want to see today as we look at the longing of the heart. First, purity in heart. The phrase the heart is everywhere in our world. Craig Troxell wrote a great book on this. He's a faithful Reformed pastor. Think about how you hear the word the heart in the world. If you have a change of heart, you're thinking differently. If she gave you her heart, she's in love with you. If she no longer gave you her heart and she broke your heart, not so much. Cecilia, you're breaking my heart, right? It's in the songs. If your heart was in the right place, you messed up, but you meant well. When we speak from the bottom of our heart, then we're telling the truth. Sometimes we don't have the heart to tell someone what we really think. If we take it to heart, we're really listening. If your team lost heart, like Gonzaga, they l- gave up and they l- lost Arkansas. The lion hearted are courageous, the chicken hearted are spineless. Sometimes we're cold hearted, sometimes light hearted. We work half heartedly on Monday, and we work wholeheartedly. Before a deadline, we can be callously hard-hearted or cowardly faint-hearted. Everything important to us is secured in our hearts. Some people say, how can I deny my heart? I must be true to who I am. On the Wizard of Oz and the journey to the Emerald City, Dorothy and Toto are joined by who, kids? The Tin Man. What did the Tin Man say? After all, brains are not the best things in the world. Do you have any, said the Scarecrow? No, said the Tin Man, my head is quite empty. But once I had brains and a heart also. And so, having tried them both, I should much rather have a heart. What's going on here? Troxel asks the question. The word heart is the most important word in the Bible to describe who we are within. It appears over a thousand times, more than any other word for the inner self. And as Oz Guinness says, the biblical understanding of the heart and the modern cultural understanding are almost polar opposites. Today, when people hear of the word heart, they often think the emotions, right? Troxel says, if your heart principally does one thing, it thinks. We tend to side with the tin man, right? Heart, feeling, but that's not true. Biblically, the heart refers to the mind, the desires, the will. So, yes, it involves our emotions, it involves our affections, but also our knowledge, our thoughts, our intentions, our memory, our imagination, our ideas. It involves what we love, what we want and feel and yearn for, what we choose, whether we will say yes or no to certain things, including sin. So it is combining intellect, sensibility, and will, the heart. It is crucial to Jesus. Who we are in the deep recesses of our hearts is what he cares about the most. Proverbs 4, keep your Heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. That's true for us all, but young people, especially, nothing is more essential than by the Spirit guarding your hearts. Blessed, Jesus says, are the pure in heart. This is the sixth of eight Beatitudes. Before the fall, Adam had a pure heart, not even a spot of sin, nothing lacking, nothing missing, nothing sinful. But after the fall, the Lord says in Genesis 6, every intention of the heart is wicked and evil continually. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart, By nature, our hearts are sinful, desperately wicked, deceived above all things. And among us today, who of us could say, I have a perfectly pure heart? None of us. If God shines a spotlight here, we realize Psalm 139, we are undone. The fallen human heart is the problem of every man and woman, boy and girl. In every family and marriage, school, and nation. Have you ever thought about how helpless government is, local, state, federal, to solve the problems of society? Why is that? Because no amount of political maneuvering can solve a spiritual problem. We have heart problems. In the church, There are heart problems. Terry Johnson says there are churches that are filled with people who pretend to be Christians. They do all the right things. Do, do. They've got a list and they'll read it to you of all they've done. But they're self-deceived. The heart is blind apart from the grace of God. They go to church, Johnson says, but they're unrepentant. And their hearts are filled with anger and bitterness, lust and pride and self-righteousness, sins of the heart. Jesus talks about this in Mark 7. From within, out of what? The heart, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, theft, murder, adultery, Deeds of coveting and wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, pride, slander, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. What's the opposite of a pure heart, biblically speaking? A double minded heart. James 4, verse 8. Cleanse your hands, you sinners and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's a divided heart, undecided heart. Pilgrim's Progress, one person brings this illustration up. Do you remember, kids, Mr. Facing Both Ways? (laughs) He had one eye on heaven, one on earth. He preaches one thing, he does another. And he can't see the contradiction. James 1 says, the double-minded man asks and gets nothing. He's unstable. It's like Augustine. Do you remember before he was converted? He was, as a teenager, sexually wild. He writes about this. He lived 400 A.D. Do you remember his prayer? Derek Thomas brings this out. He said, Lord, give me chastity But not yet. He has a conflicted mind. He's not sure what he wants. Does he want God and to be reassured of the covenant promises of God, or does he want gratification here and now? And he's not sure what he wants. I want both, he says. A double minded person is like someone who has a wife and a girlfriend. A man who's married to his job, neglecting his family. Ligan Duncan says you look around the world, and it is the double minded man that seems to prosper more than anyone. He'll say one thing to this colleague, another thing to that one, and he'll get his way. His exterior action is not in accord with his interior heart. He's a schemer, and he gets what he schemes to get. A double-minded man is a hypocrite. That's what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. You wash the outside, you look great out here, but inside full of dead man's bones in your heart. Greed and self-indulgence. Jesus did not come into a world, loved ones, of people with bad habits that just need to be fixed. He came into a world with people who have dead, dirty, Double-minded, deceitful hearts. The reference Jesus makes to pure in heart, Matthew 5, 8, comes out of Psalm 24. That's why we sang it. That's why we read it. Where David the psalmist is going to worship God. He's on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and he realizes he's got a problem. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may enter the, the holy place of God? What's the answer? who has clean hands and a pure heart. You and I can't give ourselves a new heart any more than we can go down to Abbott Northwestern Hospital, put ourselves on the operating table, and operate on ourselves by giving ourselves a heart transplant. Impossible. But thanks be to God, Psalm 24, we receive what? Blessing from the Lord. Righteousness from the God of our salvation. Jesus came as the great Redeemer and Savior, as the one who is perfectly pure and holy, the Son of God who died for sinners with double-minded hearts, and his righteousness is imputed to us, so we are holy and righteous, Psalm 24, by faith in Christ, the Holy One. That's our hope. Only God can give a new heart. The new birth, regeneration. A heart of stone, hard, dead, replaced by a heart of flesh, living and alive to God. The Holy Spirit, like Ezekiel says, gives us a new heart, a new mind, new affections, new will, new desires. Jesus says, he who believes in me As the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. For the Christian who has a new heart, God's will for you is holiness, is purity. Derek Thomas asked this question, what are some things that you wish were different about yourself? Personality, habits, character, maybe exercising more, going to bed earlier. Not bad things, but how about this? God, make me pure in heart. There's a lot of confusion about this. Some people say purity is something you have when you're young and you lose when you sin. But that's actually flipped around. We're born with impure hearts. And purity is something we gain as we grow more in the likeness of Jesus. And there's two aspects to purity. Homogenous, meaning pure gold, unmixed. And something clean, like pure water, pure air. The mountain air. You ever smell that when you're outside or up north? Inner purity, circumcision of the heart, David, a man after God's own heart, created me a clean heart, oh God, and purity of heart to will one thing. The opposite of being double minded, single minded, with a goal and a desire that's focused on the Lord. Kids, it's like running a race, whether it's a sprint or long distance. Your coach is going to tell you don't look behind and don't look to your side because then you'll trip or you'll fall or you'll slip. Look ahead, striving forward like Paul says to the goal, the upward call of God in Christ. A passion for Christ to know God. It is sincerity and truth. Someone can be sincerely wrong, right? We know that. It is to worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness of the pure heart and mind, apart from the false deceitfulness of hypocrisy. Loved ones, sanctification then is not just not doing bad things. It is an active pursuit by the Spirit of God of what is right in God's sight. So what is the law of God summarized in? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Let the words of my heart be pleasing in your sight. God writes his law on our hearts. To have something written on the heart is to know it to memorize it, to meditate on it, to love it. All of you Latin experts, which I'm not, will know the word record comes from the Latin word core, C-O-R, for heart. To record something, we love to record videos of our kids or pictures and then replay them or look at them years later, right? To record something is to put it on your heart, You love it, and God wants to record his word by his spirit on your heart, dear Christian, because he loves you so much. This is true wisdom. Wisdom is not intellectual knowledge alone. It's the fear of the Lord, rooted in meekness, James 3, producing righteous fruit. And from beginning to end, wisdom, Ecclesiastes, is acquired by the heart. Do you pray for a pure heart? The men yesterday in our study listened to Dr. Godfrey's lecture at Ligonier Ministries. He opened up Psalm 86, verse 11. Unite my heart to fear your name. Lord, my heart's all over the place. That's the first sign of God's grace to us, not being blindly self-righteous it's distracted i'm tired i'm pulled in different directions lord i'm praying make my heart one united to fear your name this is not perfection paul says i have not already obtained it romans 7 is where we live the sinful flesh clings to us the christian is not someone that has it all together The Christian is not someone who says, I love going to church every week, and the kids are ready, and we're perfect, and we're there. No. The Christian knows, God, my heart is divided and distracted. And in all these difficulties and afflictions and ongoing indwelling sin, by your grace, I'm still trusting Jesus. By your grace, I'm here today. My desire might not have been to worship God this morning. But God, you brought me here with your people and you're meeting with me by your grace and by your spirit and by your word and by your promises, purify my heart. That's the call that David has for us. Lord, I love you, but I love other things too much. I love sinful comfort and ease and pleasure and selfishness. I've done so many things. I've thought so many thoughts. My heart is not pure. My thinking is messed up. I've got compulsive behaviors, stubborn sins, a sharp tongue. I'm fearful of man. I've got a habit of complaining. I'm self-absorbed. God, purify my heart. That's the cry of the believer. God, I've made an idol of this thing. I've worshipped my way into it. Help me by your grace to worship my way out of it to repent and believe on Jesus who forgives me, who cleanses me. I bathed in his blood. He took my guilt. He makes me clean. That's the cry of the gospel. By the work of Jesus, there is soul-cleansing power in the blood of the Lamb. As we gather to worship, our minds are being washed with the word of God. We are beholding the glory of Jesus. We are praying, as Paul did, for the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened. The eyes are the instrument that the desires of the heart are manifested. And we have a prayer for illumination before the sermon by the Holy Spirit that we would see the beauty of Jesus, that we would love the gospel and grow as his disciples. We can't cause this to happen any more than we can cause our hearts to love other unlovable people. That was the third use of the law today, God's will for our lives, First Peter. God's will for you is to love one another earnestly from what? A pure heart. Sanctification is a team sport, loved ones. Here is the family of God, in this place, at this time. What is God's will for Emmaus Road? Grounded in the gospel, a gospel culture that we pray he's producing among us. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That means fervent. The word is used of a horse racing with every muscle, firing, to win the derby. Meaning, our love is to stretch to the limits. This is a supernaturally produced love. Romans 12 gives us a picture of it in the law today. By nature, we're slothful in zeal. God says, Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, love one another from the heart with what one man calls the virtue of magnanimity. Big word. Big, hard word to pronounce, meaning boldness, eagerness, attempting great things for God, facing dangers with resolution, struggling with difficulties and perseverance, bearing sufferings with patience. That's the picture here. That's a Christian Holy Spirit, divine grace produced virtue. It calls us to love the Lord and one another, to suffer and to do so with our eyes fixed somewhere. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Meaning, secondly, They and they alone. So as we move forward to what the pure in heart will see, it's saying if you're not pure in heart, you won't see God. And Dale Van Dyke reminds us here of the parable of the treasure. Do you remember that, kids? A man finds this treasure in a field. He goes and enjoys. He sells all that he has to buy what? The field, Matthew 13, 44. In that day and age, there were treasures buried. Maybe kids, you go in your backyard, and in the springtime, you find not buried treasures, but buried toys, we do in the mud. Toys that were left in the mud from the fall, and now they've reemerged in the spring. <laughs> Matchbox cars. That's like Christmas all over again. where did this stuff come from? It came out of the mud. This man finds the pearl of great price. He lists all of his stuff on Craigslist. I'm going to sell it all because what I found was more valuable. What's the treasure? Christ is the treasure. Seeing God is the treasure. That's what we've been made for. As Augustine said, if God offered you everything you want in life, but you couldn't see God, would you take it? The Christian says, No way. Seeing God, Derek Thomas says, is being admitted into God's presence. Think of a doctor. If you have a serious illness, you don't want to see a picture of your doctor, you don't want to just hear the voice of your doctor, you don't want just an email from your doctor. You don't want just a Zoom call with your doctor. You want to be there with your doctor in person. So it is with the Lord. Seeing God is being confronted by the glory of God. The psalmist is going through trials. He's crying out, God, hide not your face from me, Psalm 27. He wants the reassurance of God's love, his mercy, his tenderness, in the midst of suffering. There's a biblical theology of seeing God. First Timothy says God is unapproachable. He dwells in unapproachable light. No one has ever seen him. So what does he, this even mean, loved ones? Well, it is what theologians call the beatific vision. To see God as he is. And it's promised to us ultimately when Jesus returns. For now we see dimly, then what? Face to face. That's what Jesus has in mind here, seeing God. 1 Corinthians. Now I know in part, then I will know fully, even as I am fully known. Think about looking in a mirror. If, If the mirror is cloudy and you're trying to shave, Like I've tried to do at times, you're going to cut yourself, you're going to miss stuff, you can't really see things. It's dim. So it is here, not exactly analogous to the Lord. We do see him now in part by faith, but it's not yet what it will be. Jacob saw God, Genesis 33. Moses saw God, and it wasn't just a vague seeing of God. Jesus tells us in John what they saw, who they saw. Jesus says, you saw me. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He alone has seen the Father. So Jacob and Moses and Isaiah and Ezekiel saw the pre incarnate Jesus in the Old Testament, whose glory was still too great for sinful humans to see. Philip was with Jesus. He said, Okay, show me the Father. That'll be enough. Jesus is so tender and patient. Philip, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? He's patient with us too. Whoever has seen me, Philip, has seen the Father. I am in the Father. The Father is in me. Jesus' divine glory was veiled with human flesh. So what do we see? We see God now through general revelation. Kids, you look outside, you see The beauty even of ice formed, as we were seeing this a while back, in a waterfall that just sparkles with beauty. You see God through his providence, but you see God by faith in Jesus, in the word of God, by the sacraments. The identity, however, of Jesus is hidden to those who are unrepentant, With divided hearts. Only those whose hearts are purified by faith see him as he really is. So here is sanctification again. Hebrews says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. God didn't choose you because you were holy. (laughs) He chose you for holiness. That you would be holy. The wonder of the gospel is that God, by his grace, produces this in our hearts. And this is practically a huge verse in the help in the battle with lust. Or, the battle that we have when our thoughts turn to pride, revenge, self-pity, jealousy, greed. It could be a number of things. Our thoughts go there. Or escapism. We try to escape the problems and stress of life. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We can't fight sin without the superior pleasure and promise of the gospel of Jesus. When sin entices us, there's something there that we're grabbed by. Sin makes false promises. To fight it, we need to be reminded of better promises, of greater joy, satisfaction, delight, forgiveness, mercy, and love in Jesus. When we struggle there with these thoughts, the answer is not stop it, make it better. It's Christ in the gospel a superior satisfaction. On this side of glory, we see God by faith. A day is coming when we will see him face to face. What will it be like? What will our age be in heaven? Will we know each other? People have all sorts of questions about this. Dear Christian, John says, he's puzzled by it like you are. 1 John 3, what what we will be has not yet appeared. We are given glimpses of heaven, but we don't have a complete picture, do we? So when we speak of this, seeing God, the beatific vision, we distinguish between the intermediate state and then The final state, the intermediate state. Where does your soul, Christian, and mine go when we die? When a loved one dies, we say to those who love that person, I'm sorry for your loss. Because for us, death is a great loss. That person is not with us anymore like they once were. But for the Christian who died, death is not a loss. To live is Christ, to die is gain. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So you, dear Christian, when you die, will go immediately into the presence of Jesus in glory. In a split second, you will experience more joy than the sum total of the joys you've experienced in this life. You will behold the dazzling beauty of God which has been the abiding fascination of angels, it will be the greatest event of your existence, the vision of God. It'll be a joyful sight. When you're struggling and sad, having a friend with you, just present, can bring such comfort and joy. How much greater will be the sight of God to his people in heaven? One day we will see God in all his perfection in the face of Jesus. We will be like him. We will see him as he is. That's a spiritual vision that sees things as they really are. In heaven, Christian, you will see God you will participate with him in his perfect holiness because only God is holy, holy, holy. Everything in heaven is holy and pure. It's the most holy place. What's it like for those who have gone there? Do you wonder that? Loved ones in your family, our church family, who once were sitting here and Worshiping God by faith and now are in glory with Jesus by sight? What's it like? I encourage you and myself to read Revelation 4, 5, 6, and 7. That's what it's like. As Dr. Riddlebarger says, that is the only description given to us in that fullness of what it's like for the believer in the intermediate state to go to be with the Lord. Amazing. God is there. The 24 elders are there. The lamb who was slain is there. Myriad of angels are there. The great multitude of the redeemed is there, praising God, enjoying him. And as great as that is, and it is great, it reminds us there's no purgatory. There's no soul sleep. For the Christian, there is being with the Lord at death, but something even better awaits the unveiling, the return of Jesus, the resurrection of the body, that's what awaits. That when Jesus comes back, all of those saints before the throne in Revelation will receive their resurrection bodies, as will all of his children who are still alive on the earth. We won't be disembodied, floating around. There will be a new heaven, And a new earth, a physical glorified body, a physical glorified state. But what is even better than that is that the church of Jesus, the bride he has redeemed, will be with her Savior. There was an old woman whose husband and child died, A friend said to her as she was on her deathbed, Soon you will be with them both. And her last words were so wise. She nodded and she said, Yes, but Jesus first. What makes heaven heaven is that Jesus will be there. Paul, my desire is to depart and be with Jesus. Christ, Christ is the treasure, loved ones. Christ is what makes heaven, heaven. Christ is the central focus of the ministry of Emmaus Road Reformed Church. Christ is the longing of the believer's heart. Blessed indeed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, our faith and hope are fixed today on Jesus. We have a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead, that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for us. O oh God, fix our eyes, enlighten our eyes to see the beauty and the worth, and the joy of our Savior, who loved us, who died for us, who reigns from heaven above, who is praying for us, and is returning again. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.